Welcome. I want to start by just asking if you can recall in your life having had a, a bad assignment. Maybe zing all the way back to school and, and you remember your classmates being able to uh, do a book report or a report on some really cool animal and you got stuck doing a four-page report on a newt or, or something like that. I don't know if you remember. Or maybe at work that there's some big project and your team is responsible for kind of the worst part of the project, the most mundane kind of uh, part of the project, kind of the bad assignment. Can you recall a time in your life when you got the bad assignment? This last week over spring break, hope you had a great spring break, by the way, uh, my family uh, and I got to uh, spend a little bit of time in uh, Sholo, and we got to go skiing one day. On Monday, we went skiing at sunrise. We love skiing, and part of our plan, both my wife and I uh, grew up skiing and enjoy skiing, and so we want to be able to give our kids that opportunity, and, and uh, so there's kind of a training deal that's going on with the kids, and so the plan for Monday was that my wife was to take our nine and seven-year-old, the boys, who can ski pretty well, so she was to ski with them and kind of give them more experience, and then I was to spend the day teaching our five-year-old girl how to ski. See, I got the bad assignment, if you kind of break that down a little bit, because Tammy's, you know, just skiing down with the boys, and the whole day... I am with a five-year-old teaching her to ski. And I don't know if you've never ever done this before, but five-year-olds, they fall a lot when they're skiing. They fall when they come off the chairlift. They fall when they're trying to turn. They fall when they're trying to stop. They fall when they're trying to adjust their goggles. They fall all the time. And what makes that hard is that the hardest thing to do on skis is get up. And so those two things in combination make for a very long day because they, they, they fall a lot and the hardest thing to do is get back up. So it's this vicious circle and, and it reminded me of just why there are things such as ski instructors. I mean, it remind, it's the same reason there are driver training instructors. There are certain things that parents should be very careful to try to teach their kids on. You know, there's a lot of things parents are responsible for teaching their kids. There's a lot of things we should call the professionals to do. And so this day... I got, the, uh, I, got the bad, I got the bad assignment. Maybe there are some of you, when you think about your responsibilities as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as an employee, as an employer, where you feel like you've gotten a bad assignment, maybe over the last little chunk, over a big chunk. And we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament today that very much addresses that. Would you bow your heads with me as we launch into this? Father, this phrase, bad assignment, may just not be connecting with folks here in the room here. And God, I just pray that whatever you want to do with this story, whatever you want to do with this moment, that it would be crystal clear that your purposes for us gathering here, your uh, opportunity to pour into us your word, your truth, God, that it, would, that it would not be impeded in any way. God, that we would uh, be able to understand what you are saying to us here this morning that we would embrace your truth, your character. In the name of Jesus, we, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we are here in what we call the whole shebang two. We are going through the overall grand story of God. And here this year, we're going through the whole story, looking at the different characters in the story, the main characters in the story. And this morning, the character that we're looking at is a guy named Jeremiah. And if there was a bunch of folks who gathered together and 
characters in the Old Testament were distributed, and I happened to get Jeremiah. To be very honest, I would consider that a bad assignment. I'm just being honest because when I read through, I don't know for some of you, but when I read through the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah is one of the hardest ones for me to read. It just is. He's, he's known as the, the weeping prophet. And so it's just, nobody likes a whiner. And so when, you're, when Jeremiah is, is, is a whole lot of chapters, and it's just kind of a difficult thing to listen to. But, 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 it's there for a reason. We don't get to open up Scripture and say, well, I like this, I don't like this, and we move forward. There are 57 chapters in the Word of God dedicated to the story of Jeremiah. 57 chapters. There's a reason it's in there, and there's a reason that we should spend some time on Jeremiah's story. That's what we're going to that's what we're uh, going to do this morning. So I invite you to uh, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. That's where we're going to spend our time here this morning. It's found pretty much in the middle of your Bible. Last week we were in Isaiah. If you land on Isaiah somewhere in the middle and just turn right a little bit, just right of center, we're going to find the book of Jeremiah. So I invite you to go to chapter 1. As we get started in how Jeremiah's story is, is launched, Jeremiah is a prophet of God. And here is his calling, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child, but the, he was a young man. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Jump to verse 17, still in chapter 1. God says, Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Once again, we see this theme that we've seen a number of times throughout the whole shebang, throughout the Old Testament story. God says, I will be with you. Once again, he says to young Jeremiah, I will be with you. And this is an amazing charge that God gives him with crystal clarity. He says, this is what I want you to do. So often, that's what we seek. We just want to know from God, what do you want me to do? And God makes it so clear to Jeremiah here. This is what I want you to do. He has a clear charge, and it is a passionate charge from the Lord. This is what I want you to do. His task is to go to the people of Judah. If you remember the nation of Israel divided into the north and the south. And the south was known as Judah. And the south contained the mighty city of Jerusalem, the capital city. And so Judah was the place of, of greatest Jewish uh, Hebrew strength. And Jeremiah was to go to them and tell them that if they don't change their ways, if they don't alter their character, if they don't shift from worshiping things that are not God to worshiping the one true God, 
then they will be exiled out of their own land. They will be kicked out of their mighty city of Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen if you don't fall, if you don't respond to what God's saying. This is his task. This is what God asks him to do, and he launches into it with great vigor. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 10, chapter 15. He just continues to send this message to the people in, in Judah. In chapter 19, God says, go ahead and pick up a clay jar and pick up that jar and stand before the people and smash it before them and say, this is what will happen to the nation if you don't turn your ways. It'll get smashed and separated. You need to pay attention to the mighty God. That's in chapter 19. Turn with me to chapter 20. Right after that, and you'll see, you'll, we'll see how the people of Judah respond to Jeremiah after years of his work as, their, as a prophet. Chapter 20 begins, When the priest Pasher, son of Immer, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. So this is not the experience that Jeremiah was expecting. This wasn't this exhilarating experience that he thought he was entering into when he responded to the call of God. Remember, Jeremiah is a prophet. He is, he is the spiritual voice speaking into the people. He's, he's their pastor, if you will. He's got a bad congregation. I mean, I've had, some, I've had some bad days, I've had some bad weeks, but very rarely have any of you beaten me and put me in stocks. This guy has a, he's got a bad assignment. But he gets back on the horse, and he continues to say, this is what God's called me to do. And he continues to remind people of the warnings of God, the gentle, loving, powerful warnings of God. Chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 25, chapter 30, chapter 35. Zing with me to chapter 37 now. Years later. Chapter uh, 37, beginning in verse 15. They, these were the people of Judah who have been hearing these prophecies. They were angry with Jeremiah. And had beaten and imprisoned him, this is again, this is another time, in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, which they had made into a prison. Jeremiah was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained for a long time. He was in prison. Again, bad congregation. But he got out. He got out. Jump uh, chapter 38, beginning in verse 3. He got out, and this is what the Lord says, This city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. This is the exile story. God is saying, it, it's too late now. What is going to happen is the Babylonians are going to come. This was, this was 586 years B.C., 586. And he said, the, the Babylonians are going to come, and they're going to exile you. This is the exile. God says, this is going to happen. Verse 4, Then the official said to the king, this man should be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. 
is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah, put him into the cistern of Malkijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Okay, here we have an empty cistern that used to be filled with water. It's no longer being used, but it's, but it's damp. It's disgusting. There are dead animals that have fallen into there, and they're just rotting. They're insects. This is a, a, a repulsive place. They have thrown Jeremiah, their pastor. They've thrown him into the cistern to let him starve to death in there. He's got a bad assignment, Jeremiah does. He gets pulled out by his friends, and soon after that, it happens just as Jeremiah had been prophesying. Soon after that, the Babylonians come in, they take the impenetrable Jerusalem, God's city. They take it. Who are the Babylonians? All, the only thing they're known for in history is taking Jerusalem. Who are they? They're nobodies. They come in and they take in God's mighty city. Exactly as Jeremiah had proclaimed. And Jeremiah, who was prophesying for 40 years to these folks, 40 years, he gets carried away like the rest of them. He's not rescued. He's not freed from this. He gets carried away, taken from his own land, etc. He's not exempt in any way. He's got a bad assignment. Now, when we get an assignment from God, and again, that might not be language that we typically use, but, but if we get this this, this calling, this invitation to take a certain job or to, to, to take a certain path of education or to serve in a certain way or to do a certain thing. When we get that feeling or that sense, and most of you in the room, you know what I'm talking about, some kind of sense that God is tugging you toward a certain path. When we get that, we usually start with great enthusiasm and vigor. We usually start off going, yes, I'm going to take that hill. I understand what God's calling me to do, what God is calling me to be a part of. And we start the journey with great enthusiasm. But if that assignment has any longevity, then what usually happens is we realize just how hard it is. This assignment that we start off with great enthusiasm, we realize that it's hard. I mean, look at marriage. Marriage is this journey that... Almost all of us start off on the altar in front of our family and friends and before God, and we are so excited to get started in this marriage journey with such great confidence to say we are going to, we are going to, to, to break the odds. We are going to be the one that survives. We are going to be so different. We're not going to do what our parents did. We're not going to do what, et cetera. We are going, with great enthusiasm, we say we are going to do this differently. And then we realize just how hard the covenant of marriage is. My wife and I, no kidding, we had the easiest first year uh, of marriage that, that, that I've, ever, I've ever encountered. We had the, you, everyone said first year is so tough and you learn how to, you know, the toilet paper this way or that way and toothbrush and, and all that. And it's so hard. So our first year was a breeze. It was such a joy. And then after one year, three months and 14 days, <laughs> we had this fight that scared the hell, a lot of things out of us. It scared us so much. We had, this, we had this fight that we'd never had before where I felt like I was being smothered and she felt like I didn't even like her anymore. 
and boom, and then we just kind of went for a walk and did it. And we thought, is this it? What has happened to us? We realized that that was the beginning of the realization that this covenant thing that we're fighting for, it's hard. Some of you have experienced a, a, a tremendously difficult journey in your, in your marriage experience. Maybe you're unequally yoked. One of you's a believer and one of you's not. And then you've realized just what that means later on in your journey. Scripture discourages that strongly, entering into a covenant that way. And, and we maybe don't see that on the, on the altar before the pastor, but it's, it's a few years later that we realize just how significant of a deal that is. Or maybe one of you in your marriage is growing spiritually at a faster rate than the other one. And then that becomes a a difficult assignment for both of you to figure that out. Or maybe there's some kind of tragic illness that's no one's fault. It's, it's, just, the, it's just what you're dealing with. And, and, and you say, this is not what I signed up for. The same can be said in terms of the parenting experience, that we, most of us, start off believing we are going to do an amazing job. We're going to be the best parents ever. We start off with great enthusiasm. And we spend four hours installing the car seat into the car to pick the baby up from the hospital because we don't want to be that 90% of the folks who don't install their car seat correctly. We want to be the ones who do it right because we're going to be some of the best parents ever in the history of parenthood. And then those beautiful little babies turn two. Yeah, and they're flailing around in the, in the store. And then they turn 13. Yeah, and they're flailing around in different stores. We realize just how hard this assignment is. Or, or maybe, maybe some, as parents, there, there's some physical or mental handicap that was a part of your journey that was not what you had signed up for. And you've gotten a more difficult assignment than you thought you were entering into. How, how does that work? How are we supposed to respond to that? If we go back to chapter 20 of Jeremiah's story, back up a little bit. It's right in the middle of, of Jeremiah realizing that this assignment that he started off with such great enthusiasm, he, st- he realized just how hard it was. And he, he says to God, chapter 20, verse 7, Lord, you deceived me. I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. I'm doing what you asked me to do, God. It's harder than I thought it was going to be. Jump down to verse 14. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. In other words, I hate my birthday. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. In other words, I hate the guy who handed out the cigars and said, It's a boy. I hate the whole thing about it. He's saying, God, I want to 
I want to respond to your invitation because I trust you. But why is it so hard? Why is my assignment so hard? Father, I want you to be proud of me. I do. But I don't know if I can keep going. Here he says in chapter 20. It's a very honest response to God that I think reflects many of the cries of of our hearts. And it's okay, it is so okay to say to God, why? We have to be careful because we have to be careful with our selfishness when we bring the question why to God. Because if what we mean is, why didn't it happen to somebody else because I'm better than somebody else? We have to be careful with the why question. Because if we mean, it should happen to them instead of me, that's just selfishness. But if we're honestly coming before God and not comparing ourselves to anybody else, just saying, God, I trust you, but I'm seeking why? That's an okay question to bring to God. Jeremiah models that for us. And let me just tell you that the answer is not because God is punishing you. That's not the way God works. God does not punish us by giving us a bad assignment. That's not the way God works. That's the way karma works. There's a very popular uh, you know, talk show host. are going to talk about it all the time, this concept of karma and, and that's the way that works, that in the Hindu faith, karma is this idea that, that their God is very fair, and he will give us exactly what we deserve. And that's this flow of karma that happens from this life into the next life, and it's all this karma thing that happens. That's not the way our God works, thankfully. Our God does not give us what we deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us what he believes we can handle. And that's where it gets a little tricky. I don't know why some people get worse assignments than others. I can't explain it. I don't know why some people have, have marriage experiences that are, that are so much more difficult than others, have family experiences. I don't know why some people are, are, are called to uh, clean garbage uh, in the inner city, and other people have been gifted to write books that are read by millions across the world. I don't know why some people in a small group have such a hard time speaking a sentence, whereas others have an amazing voice that can sing before thousands. I don't know why God has those kinds of things going on. I don't know why some parents end up having a child who is, who's deformed in some way. I don't know why some people are called to be missionaries in Japan or, or in service in Japan right now in the midst of all that dealing, dealing with what's going on or, or in Libya right now dealing with what's going on. I don't know why different people have different assignments. What I do know is that God knows what we can handle. And what I've seen time and time again from parents who have um, harder assignments in terms of in terms of children, so often it's a reflection of their character and their strength. That God knows that this precious, hard assignment, he can trust it with this person of character. And sometimes that stuff is hard for us to understand, for us to fully embrace, but God does not give us what, is, what, what we deserve. It's not a punishment thing. But he knows that we can handle and he's promised all along he will be there. He will be there with us. 
So if you have a hard assignment, however you might define that or describe that, so what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to handle that? How are we supposed to move forward? And Jeremiah has another verse here in chapter 20. I'm still in chapter 20. In between what I read there, verse 9, Jeremiah says, But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. In other words, if I say, I won't do what God's called me to do. If I say, I won't go and prophesy what God has asked me to say to the people. If, if I stop doing that, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up on my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. As hard as this assignment is, Jeremiah says, I can't not do it. I've tasted what it means to be in the will of God doing what he's asking me to do, and I, I don't want to go down any other path. I've experienced what it means to be part of the whole shebang, to be part of God's overall story, to be a part of something meaningful in, in, in the existence of humanity. And I don't want anything other than that. I would rather be walking tightly, intimately with God, enduring a hard assignment than walking by myself and in an easy, comfortable, meaningless journey through life. He says, I've tasted it. This marathon that we call life requires tremendous amount of endurance. It requires perseverance. I, we, we see this. I've been so surprised at how much this has popped up in our in our study this year, as we've looked at these different characters, I didn't go through the whole year and say, okay, here's 40 different character traits, and then we're going to slot them in and kind of squeeze them into stories throughout the year. What we did is we're going to look at the main characters and see what pops up on their own. And this issue has, has, has popped up a number of times, this thing of perseverance. Time and time again, the basic concept is that life is hard. Let's be honest about that. I love the honesty in, our, in, our, in, our, in the holy word of God. It's not a Pollyannish experience. Life is hard. And that persons of character step back and see the big picture instead of getting consumed by the troubles of today. That perseverance is a character issue that helps us to step back and look at something grander, look at something bigger. Because so often perseverance leads to something amazing, leads to something incredible. The bad assignment I had on Monday this week with a five-year-old daughter and going skiing, and I don't know if you've ever done that. It is back-breaking work, and, you know, you're doing this little thing down here and, and, and just kind of holding her up and lifting her up again, and she falls and lifting her up, and, and just uh, the whole day, and, and I ate a ton for lunch because I was so tired, and the whole time, I'm just thinking, I just want to ski, and I look down at the hill that looks so inviting, and, and I'm right here, and, and, uh, and at the end of every run, we only did a few runs because it just takes so long, and, and uh, at the end of every run, there's this kind of this, this long flat area where you have to go fast in order to get to the bottom of the chair. And so for those sections, I would just put my skis around hers and just kind of lean over her. And then I would kind of have all her weight ready to be picked up so that if, if there's any, if she just starts to cross her skis or anything, I could just pick her up and, and, then, and then she'll flail and then she'll get back down. And so, because we need to get going fast enough in order to get to the bottom of the chair. And in the last run of the day, 
I got out and I do this, and, and so I'm carrying, and my back is just killing me, and I'm doing this kind of on the last piece, getting down, and, uh, and her, her head is right in front of me right here, and I'm holding her like this, and it's a fair uh, uh, time to do this, and so I just, uh, I just reached down, and, and I kissed her on the top of her head, and she says, I love you too, Daddy. And then my back didn't hurt quite so much. I mean, it was just this, this sweet little moment to say perseverance sometimes pays off. It is. Let's be reminded, kind of step back, that sometimes it pays off in such a beautiful way. It doesn't always. It's okay for us to have hope, but it doesn't always. I mean, the truth is that we don't always get a pretty little story with a nice little bow and a little kiss and a little I love you too, Daddy, at the end of our, at the end of our bad assignments. Our kids don't normally say what we want them to say when they're, 20, when they're 25 and they say, thank you, mother and father, for parenting me so well. We don't get some of those little sweet little tied-up bow moments that we want or that we kind of hope out of our journey. And that's hard for us because that's not the American way. The American way is that we want a happy ending to the story. That's the American way. That's the way we do music. It's the way we do entertainment. It's the way we do movies. You, know, you go pick any romantic comedy. You just have to look at the cover of the movie, and you know the whole story. It's that guy and that gal who are going to meet in some way. They're going to have some kind of trouble. They're gonna, not going to like each other, and then they're going to kiss and make up in the end, and then they're going to be happy. That's the story. There's no mystery there. There's no, oh, wow, I didn't think those two were going to make it. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, I, how could you believe that? There's no mystery in those stories, but we rent them or go to them over and over again because we want the happy ending story. That we're not fans of, of, of a lot of foreign films and independent films and all that because they have the, kind of these, these unexpected endings and sometimes there's tragedy at the, at the end of these stories and we don't like that. We don't, we don't want that. That's not the way we want to experience life. In fact, movies that end that way from our perspective, they're called horrors. If a movie ends and the bad guy's still out or something's still bad at the end, that's a horror movie. That's what it's called. That's a horrific... That's the horrific kind of ending to a story. Jeremiah's story is a horror story. It's a horrific story. Forty years of his life telling the people, change your ways or you will be exiled. Forty years. They don't do anything and they're all just exiled. What? That's his story? By American standards, that's a complete failure. That's an absolute failure. But he's in here, 57 chapters worth. He's a Hall of Famer, not because of his success, but, be, uh, but because on, through his whole journey, he never quit. He's a Hall of Famer because he never quit. And at the end of his days, he can stand before his God and say, I did what you asked me to do. And his, God's in, and his God will say, I'm proud of you, son. Now, I say 57 chapters, and some of you might be puzzled with that because you may know that the book of Jeremiah only has 52 chapters. I say 57 because there are another five chapters found in a book right after Jeremiah called Lamentations. And most say that that's written by Jeremiah, that the story is that after the exile, after 586, 
after 40 years of trying to tell people to change their ways, he goes back into the rubble of Jerusalem. And he writes this lament, this weeping lament over the city, over what could have been avoided. And in Lamentations, which is following Jeremiah, it's the book right after Jeremiah, Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah writes these words in verse 22, Lamentations three twenty-two. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's standing in the rubble and he says, God... You are so faithful. Forty years of a failed prophetic ministry, and he stands before God and said, You are so faithful. hundred years ago, a man took these words and he wrote a, wrote a poem out of it. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All, that I, have, uh, all, uh, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. That man was a guy named Thomas Chisholm. He was from Kentucky, and so it originally, great is thy faithfulness, is how the song originally was written. In the early uh, 20th century, he was, he was a, uh, a life insurance salesman, and uh, he, he called himself, I'm just an old shoe. That's what he referred to himself. I'm just an old shoe. He wrote, uh, over a thousand poems, none of which anyone will ever hear, but this particular one caught the eye of somebody. And, and at the age of 75, many, many, many years after he wrote this song, he had this to say. My income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the early years, which has followed me until now, although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. Thomas Chisholm was a regular person who, because of his health, had a hard assignment at some days. But he celebrated God's faithfulness. Jeremiah was a regular person who was called by God to be a prophet. He had a hard assignment. But he celebrated God's faithfulness. Whatever your situation is, whatever your assignment is, you can develop your character by starting each day saying, God, you are faithful. God, I recognize today, whatever, whatever I'm about to endure, whatever, I walk out into the kitchen and then boom, it all happens. God, in the midst of all that, you are faithful. Whatever happens around you, the world crumbles around you, the world is unfaithful, people are unfaithful, you get to say, God, great is your faithfulness. Lord, unto me. We're going to sing that song as we close, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, in a beautiful way, remind us of your faithfulness today. As we sing this song and, and think about our hard assignments, God, there are so many beautiful ways that you have been faithful. And, and we lose sight of that when we focus on our hard assignments sometimes. God, may we be reminded today of your faithfulness 
in terms of relationships, in terms of, of sustenance, in terms of opportunities, in terms of joy, in terms of people who care about us. God, we celebrate your faithfulness now.